House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am Al Warren, of course, and Mr. Dave Martino is on the side. I'm here. You're here. Yeah. I'm, I'm here. Well, I'm doing okay. I was worried about you a little bit, but worried about me. Yeah, you know, after your after <laughs> what your have colon, you heard? colonoscopy and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I was a little nervous myself. Well, please, but it all went well. Well, of course it did. <laughs> they don't even need to put you to sleep. Come on. <laughs> At your age? The, the, oldest, the oldest joke in the book, but it never gets too old. You know? no, so it's always <laughs> worth making that one. Well, and it's true. You know, with him, I mean, my God, he um, he goes into the doctor and just takes off his pants. Yeah. <laughs> and the doctor's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, well, aren't you going to check my... Uh, you know? <laughs> it's like we, we've already done it. Going well, I just thought I'd check. You know, yes, he's he's crazy. You don't want to, you know, you always make sure. Yeah, yeah. The doctor's actually uh, refusing to see him now. No, no yeah, <laughs> <laughs> won't take my calls. Yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> we'll find someone new. Well, joining us, the other voice we got is uh, Joseph Osmondson. Now, I hope I said that right. You I, did. You did. You that know, was perfect. Yeah. Well, I tried, but I'm. Uh... So listen, I I noticed you on I believe it was CNN or HLN, one of the two, and not that I watched them a lot. It's just in the morning, and mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting to talk about this. So we thought we we ask you to come on, and you said yes. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased, you know. And now your book is called Virology. Virology. Mm -hmm. mm. Sounds like a Madonna song, and <laughs> essays for the living, the dead and the small things in between and and of course we're going to we're going to get into some of the things like going on right now like monkeypox and stuff but i think the um the the idea behind the book i love the um you know the the food we eat and the people we kiss the yep. you know all the all of the different things in our in our day-to-day -day life that we interact and do um can lead us to all sorts of things and we don't think about it like what we're putting into our bodies and, yeah. and, and all that stuff. So, um, so let's first, your, your book, like what made you kind of go this way? Like you, you're right about the virology and all these sort of things. Like, how did you get into this? So I am actually a virologist by training. <laughs> I, I did my PhD studying viruses. And I also, as a, as a queer man who grew up, was born in 1983 with the very year that HIV was found to be the causative agent of AIDS. You know, I've, I've grown up in a way where viruses have impacted my daily. I, I argue that virus imp viruses impact all our daily lives. They are the most abundant life form on earth. They are not fully living because they can't replicate by themselves, but obviously not fully dead because they can replicate and copy themselves. They're tiny little packages that just contain a recipe for, recipe for themselves. And, you know, HIV contains only nine genes and around 10,000 letters in its genome and its entire genetic packet. 10,000 letters is the recipe for HIV. And yet we have 3.2 billion letters in, in our cellular recipe and 22,000 genes and 40 trillion cells and this tiny virus hiv can cause death 
And so there's, they are profoundly confusing, perplexing, but important little creatures. And I argue that, uh, it's, it, it's our duty as beings living on this planet. This, we have more viruses on this planet than there are stars in the sky to look closely at them. And the more closely you look at viruses, sort of the less they make sense in a way. And I, you know, I think it's really easy to tell viral stories of HIV or COVID or even now monkeypox and ignore the fact that we have viruses in us every day that we don't feel sick. Um, there are viruses in me that will live until the last day I live. Uh, and so just to look at them in a slightly different and more complex way. So you're kind of saying that there's there's good purposes behind a lot of the viruses. I would almost say that there there is no good or bad to a virus, even a virus that can cause us harm or, or illness. They are sort of facts of life. Um, they they predated humans on this planet, and after we destroy ourselves, they will remain. You know, <laughs> so it's it's more like a, a conversation with microbes, a conversation with viruses, a living alongside and caring for one another. And sometimes that care will look like HIV medication or a monkeypox vaccine that make it so that we live alongside viruses more in health than in sickness. Yeah, I think it's, the way the world is lately and the way people are toward, uh, you know, look at after COVID, right? Um, and typical human response was not all that impressive to me. Um, how, how do we get people on board with thinking about viruses differently? It is, I mean, that is not just a mission of, of my book, but it's a, that's a life's mission. And I don't know that anyone is even going to be able to accomplish it. You know, I, I think the, the, it's so important because the way we look at viruses does harm to ourselves. I think so much, um, American culture is about looking away from the fact that the only thing true about all human lives is that at some point we will be sick and at some point we will die. Um, you know, that's, that's just life's lot and, mm. uh, being able to hold nuance and complexity to be able to hold sickness and health as both facts of human life at the same time. Um, you know, the virus just is one small part of those stories. I talk a lot in my book about cancers, right? Um, you know, the only way to not have risk for cancer is to not be alive. Um, and I have, I have cancerous cells inside of me right now that my immune system are just, um, taken care of, you know, so it's not like there's a ever a cancer, no cancer state. It's all kind of, we all have subclinical cancers popping up all the time that don't make us sick. And we all have viral infections all the time, um, that usually don't make us sick. Well, do we know the difference? between, you know, a virus that's destructive or lethal or uh, one that's inert? Is that something that's understood? It, it is, you know, it's it, all of these things are so complex, right? Um, mm. I, I, again, I wouldn't even say, you know, um, there's a better understanding with bacteria. Like um, a third of people have staph bacteria on their skin or in their nose. Um, and most of the time it doesn't make them sick at all. But for some reason, that same bacterium can become pathogenic. And even that relatively simple decision-making schema, we don't really understand at a molecular level. And similarly with, with viruses, right? You have even very simple viruses like um, a herpes virus that, you know, most people have HSV-1, the herpes virus that causes cold sores in them at all times. Once you're infected with it, 
It stays with you for the rest of your life. Um, and at some points, it will decide to reactivate and give you a cold sore and be very painful. Um, most of the time, it doesn't. And some of that decision making it has to do with your immunity. You know, if you are um, super stressed and your immune system is a little bit low, uh, then it's more likely that the virus will be able to activate. But even, you know, that relatively simple decision, am I going to activate or am I going to remain dormant with the very same virus, herpes simplex virus one? Uh, it's not molecularly understood exactly why that occurs. Well, I have a friend down the road that told me if I use lavender oil. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs Valtex, right? Yeah, like I'll never have a problem. <laughs> It'll fix everything. And silver solution is great for COVID. Oh, for goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> see, but that's, just, but that's what I mean, because nowadays, you see, it seemed like when I was younger, uh, we, before the Internet, which I'm not trying to slam the Internet because it does a lot of great things, but it, there there seems to be a lot more of this stuff. I don't want to call it information because it's just stuff floating around and people buy into it. And, and I don't know how to, how to solve that issue. You know, it's a, snakeskin oil sales people or whatever that term is have, you know, have existed uh, as long as medicine or fake medicine ha have existed is not new, but you know, the, the TV gave Dr. Oz the platform to be Dr. Oz and the internet has given a lot of other grifters a large platform to make money by selling misinformation. Uh, it does make it really complicated for those of us out here um, trying to, you know, be not just provide good information, but be honest about how knowledge is made. You know, science isn't a set of facts, right? Science is a methodology through which one asks questions, attempts to answer them, and then continuously always tries to re-answer them. You know, I talk a lot about um, the COVID vaccines, right? When we first came out, there was a big debate. Do they prevent severe illness or do they prevent infection? And, you know, COVID vaccines 1.0, actually were remarkably good at preventing infection. That was the best science at the time. But then the virus evolved and you got the Delta strain and the Delta strain was more immune evasive and the vaccines went from being very highly effective against um, infection to less effective, not because science was wrong, but because the virus itself evolved. You know, And science then its job is to understand the new lay of the land and answer these questions sort of continuously. So it's not anything that's ever done. And I think the more we're transparent about that and curious about the questions to ask and bring people into the process of how scientists ask and answer questions continuously, the, the better off we'll be. Yeah. I, I don't have much faith for the human race, so I'm, I'm, I'm voting for the virus. <laughs> oh, they will win. They will yeah. win. When, when we're gone, they, you know, the viruses will be here. The, the sad thing is we're, we're going to take the human viruses with us, right? No more herpes on planet Earth. Sorry. No, no more HSV-1. Yeah. Well, they're going to sit around and have a beer and talk about those humans. Oh, <laughs> 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 be, my God, it'll be kind of a fun talk for them. So now, now we've got uh, monkeypox out. And yep. um, I'm, I'm starting to hear all sorts of things. Now, of course, um, Again, it's turning into kind of like the COVID thing where there's all sorts of stories flying around and it's just starting. So um, what is it that we need to be thinking about or doing as far as monkeypox is concerned? Oh, man, it's just been such an exhausting 
and horrible few months. And, you know, I, I was saying before we started recording that, you know, this isn't theoretical to me. This is personal to me. You know, two of my very closest friends in the world um, have had this virus, both, both of them had to isolate for extended periods of time. Um, one of them was in just the most immense physical pain of his life. It's an emotionally exhausting experience. You know, this is happening to my community and uh, I feel like I, you know, I am at risk as well. The virus is spreading mostly through sex. Um, and it's mostly spreading through um, sexual networks of gay men, which of course include trans and non-binary people, um, and even, you know, cis women, um, because bisexual men do exist. So, you know, this is the lay of the land right now. And we are in a really bad situation, not because gay sex exists, gay sex always exists and always will, but because our government really failed to get ahead of this crisis with the tools that we fortunately do have, testing, treatment, and vaccination, right? We could probably have stopped this virus from spreading, if the U.S. moved vaccine uh, into arms in May and June and um, was serious about scaling testing so we could actually contact trace. Um, and instead of that happening, now we're in a situation where more than 12,000 people have been diagnosed with this illness. Um, and it's just been, you know, a collective trauma, I would say, for um, gay social and sexual networks um, that, you know, is eerily reminiscent, not of of HIV, not because the viruses are similar, but just because we've been screaming and crying about people in our community being sick and being unable to get care. And there has just been no urgency in providing those tools that we need. Yeah, it it, it reminds me of, of HIV in the sense of, um, and I even heard, you know, of course, you know, Taylor Green, uh, because that video is right. going around where she's just kind of going, well, it's just happening from sex with one type of people type thing. So it's nothing we need to be concerned about. She's kind yeah. of basically, and it's kind of like, well, you know, you could say that about anything, but <laughs> it, it does, we're humans and we contact and it doesn't take long. Look at HIV. I mean, it, it will yeah. get out because you're right. There's a lot of bisexual men and there's a lot of other things going that we Yep. Won't even talk about, but it, it will spread into the mainstream community if it's not taken care of. Yeah. I mean, infectious diseases teach us that we're connected to one another and we already have cases outside of uh, the gay community. And, you know, this is a virus that, you know, when you're, when you're having sex, you have a lot of skin to skin contact and there may be, you know, um, introduction of, of the virus into places like the rectum or the mouth where it is easier to catch. That's all still ongoing science. But this virus is also spread by towels and sheets and hugs and skin to skin contact. So, you know, we already have plenty of cases outside of gay sexual networks to show us that, you know, if anyone's at risk, we're all at risk. So do you think that's the, the reason the, the government, let's say in this case, was slow to respond? You know, I think we have to be honest that since Reagan, probably there's been an immense divestment from public health, health infrastructure um, at the city, state and federal level. So we are just less well prepared uh, than we once were. You know, uh, it, my friend Mark Harrington keeps telling the story about 1947 in New York there were 12 cases of smallpox and within six weeks in 1947, 
something like 5 million vaccines were given across New York City alone, right? <laughs> we were once able to mobilize this type of a response because we had the vaccine on hand and there was urgency about stopping the infectious disease. Um, we found that urgency to be lacking, uh, particularly in the U.S. federal government, where it just sort of was, um, you know, uh, another day at the office for most people, it seemed like. And, you know, we were out here saying our community is suffering um, and, you know, it, it just it didn't seem to land uh, that we needed help. And, that, you know, only the federal government has access to vaccines and treatments and tests like they are. They are the only ones that can do this. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't know if it was ineptitude or homophobia. I don't know what it was, but I know what happened. And what happened is that people didn't get testing or vaccine or treatment. So um, now monkeypox, so wh what do we know about it? I guess it's, it's something we had a vaccine for already, and it's something that's been around a long time. And um, the story I heard was it came from a prairie dog. Oh, that's a great, that's a great anecdote. In 2003, there was an outbreak in the U.S. Um, that came from uh, imported uh, pets, like prairie dogs. That's right. Uh, this is a virus that has, was discovered in humans in 1970. Uh, it's endemic, which means it's, uh, you know, there are animals that carry it and it spreads over into humans from time to time in regions of central and west, western Africa from Congo to Nigeria. Uh, the smallpox vaccine actually is effective against monkeypox. Okay. So when we say we have monkeypox vaccines, that's because the virus is closely related to smallpox, which we eradicated from planet earth in 1980. What happened basically was when we stopped vaccinating in 1980 for smallpox, because it was eradicated in the regions where monkeypox was um, more common, we didn't keep vaccinating with the smallpox vaccine, even though that would have prevented monkeypox. So from 1980 to around 2010, monkeypox cases explode. Uh, and then from 2017 until today, there's been ongoing continuous human to human spread of this virus in urban centers in Nigeria. So, you know, it's just sort of a matter of time at that point before it starts spreading outside of that region. And when it does, you know, the real fear is that it will uh, have an, become endemic everywhere around the world. So it really was our failure to prevent this infectious disease when it was in Central and West Africa that has led to this global crisis. I've been calling it a, a global crisis that we chose. Well, I, I know we have like very low vaccine supplies in, in Massachusetts and I'm sure in other states and yep. in other areas. And I'm just wondering... What, what type of precautions should we be taking it, without without having the vaccine readily readily available? Yeah, we are really pushing the federal government to ramp up vaccine um, production. It's not even production. They have 15 million doses sitting in bags. They just need to put in vials. And that needs to happen ASAP. Um, you know, until people have access to two doses of, of vaccine, you know, we are giving people information about what the riskiest type of, of, of sex is. You know, if you, if you are... Um, communicating with your partners about um, if you feel sick and you know your partners and you're more comfortable communicating with them, that's one really great way to mitigate risk. You know, it's very hard to do that in places like bathhouses and saunas. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, 30 percent or so of cases have come from people um, meeting in places for sex um, and where it's harder to have these types of conversations. So, you know, this is not coming from a place of um, trying to shame people for going to bathhouses. I love bathhouses. This is like uh, a, a space of trying to keep this community that we care so dearly about um, from getting a really painful virus. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's it's more of um you know, it's controversial to say, but I think the evangelical hold on the right wing and the right party it's um very uh, they want to punish anybody for, you know, gay sex or any of yeah, that stuff. So right. I think it's it's a big big negative so it doesn't really um it it's hard to get get over that hump with But within... we've been you know, we've been even seeing in this intra community um, sort of argument within gay people about um, if we should be finger wagging about, um, you know, group sex or bathhouses or um, promiscuous um, I- interactions on an app like Grindr. Uh, and, you know, this is a, this is a tale as old as time, right? This goes back to HIV and before. Um, there are people who are inherently, you know, more conservative and more monogamously minded. And that's great for them, but it definitely, you know, there's a discomfort with these other types of sexual practices that also are a tale as old as time going back to the Greeks, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> saunas and bathhouses and places where, um, you know, men or queer people congregate, um, and are physical with one another. And, you know, we need to view that as, um, a, a thing that is healthy, that people enjoy, that gives them pleasure. Um, and, and, you know, infectious disease physicians and biomedicine should be about preventing infectious diseases while people are able to do the type of sexual acts that they find pleasurable. Yeah. So it, it, so in essence, so the people like at my age group anyway, have that have had the smallpox vaccine. Yeah. Um, and now again, I hear things like it's 85% effective and all this stuff like that. But is this the case? Do you think that someone like myself should, um, get the small, uh, the, monkeypox vaccine. Yeah, so we know that um, cases can transmit to folks who had smallpox vaccine decades ago. Uh, It may provide a small amount of protection that is more or less unknown, but if you are uh, in, you know, the the eligibility by the CDC, if you're the type of person who um, has a few partners a week um, or enjoys bathhouses and saunas, as I know some, um, you know, some of our elders certainly do, you should absolutely get the vaccine. Yeah, there you go, Dave. <laughs> no, I, I, um, so okay. So now, now, what is the now the monkeypox vaccine? Now, is it two shots or one? Uh, it is. So there, there are two. The one being used right now is a vaccine called Genios. It's a third ger- generation vaccine, very safe. Uh, it is a two dose regimen, um, and there's some controversy going on right now. Uh, the federal government is. I'm doing this dose sparing strategy, so it's going to give the shot in a way that most shots are not given, uh, we think, which is called intradermally. So it's sort of between layers of the skin, like a TB test. Um, but regardless of if you get it in the sort of back of the arm subcutaneously, as um, many folks have until now, um, or if you get it intradermally, which I think most people following now will get, uh, it is a two-dose vaccine for full protection. Yep. Wow. Okay. And of course, anybody younger should be doing this, right? Like if, if you were born after they stopped giving these, uh, um, yep. smallpox, you, you, you would just get it, right? Yeah. So the idea is, you know, if you are in, in the, uh, eligibility, yeah, it is, it's time to get out there and get the vaccine. Um, and, you know, we are, we have to understand that the, the efficacy of this vaccine in the context of this outbreak is is not well understood. We believe the vaccine will be highly effective. We have seen a couple of breakthrough cases, although it's unclear, 
if, um, you know, if those, those people had gotten two full doses of the vaccine, um, you know, it may not be a silver bullet, but we are, we need to insist that studies show the vaccine efficacy in the context of monkeypox spreading as it's spreading right now, um, around the world. Now, now, what about uh, non-sexual physical contact? And the reason I ask that is I've been a martial artist for most of my mm-hmm. life, and I go to seminars and classes and stuff like that, and there are certainly like Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners yep. who roll and all that stuff. Um, are, are, are martial artists and other athletes um, at risk as well, yeah. or how much? You know, we are thinking about wrestling and football and martial arts, certainly. Uh, we don't see the virus spreading epidemiologically there right now, but anyone who has a high amount of physical touch in their lives from, um, you know, people who work in massage to dancers to, uh, you know, uh, even clothing can, uh, can spread the virus, right? So if you are, you know, in a high school drama club or in a marching band and you're the marching band uniform manager, um, anything that's high touch, would carry risk for this virus. The question is, is the virus then getting into that, um, that touch network? And right now we don't see that very much. Um, there are limited cases. There's a case that came, um, epidemiologically linked just this week to, we think, uh, a sort of outdoor music festival, um, with kind of, you know, a crowded, uh, space and lots of physical mm-hmm. touch. So, you know, there, there are different levels of risk right now. Uh, martial arts, outdoor festivals um, are not no risk, but are certainly very low risk. But that anyone who has a lot of touch in their lives should have this on their radar. And if they mm-hmm. see a rash or have a flu-like illness followed with a rash, they should definitely go to their doctor. And if it's not on their doctor's radar, they should put it on their doctor's radar. And in the U.S. right now, uh, commercial labs can test. So your doctor can take a swab of your lesion, be it a zit or be it a monkeypox lesion, and send it uh, out for testing really easily. Okay. How long does it take before you find out then? Um, testing turnaround has um, has been up and down. Uh, it's it's We're hearing from commercial labs three to four days. Wow. And, and how long does this thing normally last? Like, so if I was Oof. to get monkeypox, right? So all of a sudden I'm feeling bad and I'm starting to get lesions and, and lumps. So at that moment, then, um, how long does it usually stay in my, keep me ill? How is that? Yeah. It's really a rough virus in, in, in terms of the duration of illness. It can be anywhere from 10 days, two weeks, all the way up to four or five and six weeks. And the CDC guidance is to completely isolate until all of your lumps and bumps and lesions have fallen off and are replaced with a new layer of skin underneath. So part of the the difficulty of this virus is that um, it's just really, really emotionally exhausting and painful to have to isolate for this long, even when it's not a super painful course of illness. You know, I think maybe 50% of the people who I know who have had monkeypox, it wasn't super duper painful, but it's still emotionally and financially and practically very difficult just because you have to stay home for weeks on end. Wow. So it's, 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 it's significant. Like you really do. That's Mm -hmm. a big chunk of your life. If you're sitting in there for, for weeks and stuff. Yeah. I Um, think, you know, COVID gave people the notion that five or 10 days isolation can be very, very (laughs) painful. (laughs) And so I think that that gives people a better perspective on what it means to ask someone to isolate for five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, of course, you know, it, it, people that know me want me to isolate. <laughs> but that's, and, and take away your phone so you can't text them, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That's, but that's a different story. It's nothing to do with any monkeypox and stuff like that. Why do they call it monkeypox then? So it's a it's a it's a bad name. It is a bad bad name. Uh, it was actually first discovered in laboratory monkeys in Sweden in 1958, uh, and so because that was the first animal that it was found in, uh, they named it monkeypox. But we've since learned that monkeys are not its natural reservoir. Those monkeys had been infected because they were laboratory animals being shipped across the ocean and were probably kept with some rodent along the way. Not probably, were definitely kept with some rodent along the uh, along the way at some point. So it's sort of a misnomer, and it's really unfortunate because I've even seen websites like uh, Johns Hopkins or journalists say, you know, its natural reservoir is is monkeys, and it just it just isn't, you know. Um, and it also sort of evokes, um, you know, a heart of darkness imagery of the African continent in ways that um, are, again, a misnomer. It's not found in monkeys. Uh, and, you know, we think it's, it's you know, I was I was shouted at monkeypox on the street, right? It's, it's not a nice name to have associated with an illness. So those of us in the community are starting to call it MPV or MPX. Um, especially in writing, to kind of try to rename it. And the WHO is currently enlisting a panel, you know, this bureaucracy, right? So this will happen in five years' time. <laughs> but, um, you know, there was a letter signed by, you know, dozens of, of African scientists and doctors. Um, the queer community is really pushing that this this name is actually like a double harm. It's like, it's quite bad enough to be this type of sick for this long. And, and the name really adds stigma and harm to those who are already suffering. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Do, do you think this is just the beginning? But of, I'm I'm hearing a lot of that because after the COVID thing, and now we've got yeah. this, and people are starting to say, "Oh, it's just the beginning." Yeah. Every year we're going to be having these and that. What do you yeah. What do you think? You know, I think this monkeypox is it's so so unfortunate because it's such a gnarly illness, but it's likely to stick around. We think at this point, uh, not it's not impossible that we contain it or do a, a better job. Um, but it's likely to be a global virus now, um, you know, and that, again, was really a choice about who we cared for in the decades from 1970 to now. And I think that's a lesson that if we continue to allow um, folks anywhere on the on the globe to um, become ill for decades with a preventable infectious disease, ultimately, these things will keep happening. The, the planet is warming. Um, people are living more and more uh, in in environments where they're in interaction with animals. And this is everywhere. You know, this is um, SARS-CoV-2 on the Asian continent, hantavirus in the desert Southwest, uh, swine flu in North America, and, you know, MPV in, in Congo and Nigeria. Um, so these are global issues and they are, it is, it, it is an emergency. This is part of global warming. Uh, this is part of um, people increasingly traveling uh, more and more. We're an interconnected, warming planet. And so we do fear that unless we reimagine public health as for the global public, we will keep seeing more and more viruses emerge and do harm. So in, in, in essence, we should have really been... Um... Uh, you know, going to the countries uh, that had the issue and been vaccinating people. Well, you know, the U.S. let 20 million doses of this Genios vaccine expire. Uh, 
in, in a freezer as opposed to using it in people who needed it in Nigeria, Congo, Ghana, and um, other places in West and Central Africa. Yeah, you see, but that that's the whole thing. See, to me, when I look at that, I think of whoever's in, in the control seat, you know, president mm-hmm. and, and Congress and stuff, no matter what, as long as they keep allowing that kind of attitude or behavior where we would rather let them expire than, let's say, send them to countries that need them, we're going to keep on having these outbreaks. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's just, a, you know, it it's a, it's a choice. It's an active choice. Um, and it just shows the disregard for um, lives in other countries. You know, they, they, those vaccines were not needed in the U.S., you know, and, and to just let them expire and to imagine that that wouldn't be it. And, and not, not only to let them expire, to not replace them, right? Because if we had replaced them and there were 20 million vials of vaccine sitting there, ready to go not just to America, but around the globe in response to this crisis, in all likelihood, we would have been able to contain the global spread. Yeah. Yeah. So because at the end of the day, it's also our own spoiled nature of of it's not going to bother us. It's over there. Right. That's right. And so we think it's it it won't hurt us. You know, Um, it's really it's really depressing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm always fun to bring to the party. You know, we'll we'll get a few but we'll get a few more butt jokes in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on, Dave. Yeah, especially at my expense. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, come on. Get, get out there and start showing it. Uh, well, so the, the positive thing is that we do kind of know what the virus is and, and how to sort of contain it. Like we do, the, the vaccine will, so if I get the vaccine, it's going to stop me from getting sick, right? That's kind of We, we hope so. We think so and we hope so. With what efficacy, 85, 70, or 100, those are open uh, questions. But the immunity in response to vaccination is clearly strong. Okay, so that's that's one big thing I noticed. Okay, so um, even over COVID, and now we've got monkey uh, MPV, we'll call it, or uh, it, with these viruses and with vaccines, what is a vaccine supposed to do? Like, what? Why? Why do we get vaccines? You know, vaccines basically give your immune system a taste of what a pathogen looks like. So that when you meet the real thing, you don't have to wait for your immune system to learn about it to kick its ass, right? So the vaccine is sort of like, uh, it's an amuse-bouche, if you will, so that the infection never arrives. And the crazy thing about, you know, vaccines have been around for hundreds of years, right? We were inoculating uh, cowpox into people to protect against smallpox. And that's essentially using a weaker version of smallpox so that when you get actual smallpox, your body sees it. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't even get to make an infection because your immune system goes like, hey, I know you get the fuck out of here. Um, you know, so it, but the tricky thing is that some viruses are really easy to vaccinate against and smallpox is one of them. Uh, and other viruses have thus far remained impossible, such as HIV. And then you have everything in between where uh, you, have a, you have a flu vaccine that, you know, the flu evolves so quickly that you need to get a new one each year to teach your immune system, hey, this is the flu that's likely to be coming this year. And even then it's maybe 70% effective, right? So, you know, viruses are tricksters and that each different virus acts in a very different way. And therefore different drugs and different vaccines will have different levels of efficacy against different viruses. And you really have to learn about each virus separately and figure out how to either teach your immune system about it before you get it by vaccination, 
or develop drugs like the HIV drugs that prevent uh, the infection once it, you've already had it. Yeah, yeah, because with the, with the COVID, there's this huge, and even I see a lot of different people in the media um, just sort of going on about how um, um, they thought that, you know, once I got vaccinated, I couldn't get it, you know. Yeah, like and they, that, yep, and, it, you know, vaccines are an essential tool. And, you know, a vaccine with what we call sterilizing immunity, and what that basically means is everyone who gets the vaccine will never get not even an infection with the um, the virus or pathogen. You know, those are sort of the beautiful exception to the rule, and you have everything in, in between. And then, you know, I, th- I sort of think about it as a triangle. So, you know, um, the, the pathogen, the virus is one part of the triangle. My body and my cells is another part of the triangle and biomedicine. So vaccines or drugs is a third part of the triangle. And it's those three things together that say whether or not I get sick and how sick am I going to get. And the virus can change. One big question about this monkeypox crisis is, is this virus actually molecularly different? Is it a new strain of the virus that is spreading in different ways? Or has the virus just, you know, found um, the networks through which it will more easily spread? And those are really open questions. Studying viral evolution uh, is actually something that I'm super interested in in my academic life. Um, but it, it takes time to determine what is actually going on on the level of, of the virus. And, you know, so using things like immunization to give our body protection is really an essential part, but not the only part of, of the ter- determination of whether or not anyone's going to get sick. So, yeah, and, and if I understand it right, see, the more the virus spreads amongst humans, the more we get, more cases we get, it's more likely to evolve and move on. Like the that's virus right. will change because is that that's correct, right? So it is, you know, uh, some of my friends and I are have talked about um, the level of replication that's happening right now with monkeypox. There are more monkeypox cases around planet Earth right now than there ever have been in history, right? So will this open up enough space for this? And and, and again, this virus hasn't been spreading human to human in the human species for that long. So will, you know, this amount of replication, every time the virus copies itself, it gets an opportunity to also evolve. Uh, It's unclear whether there will be enough sort of evolutionary space for this virus to find new strains or to become better adapted to humans. And, you know, our job really is to make sure that it doesn't get the opportunity, right, to use all of our tools that we have in our toolkit to say, hey, virus, please don't replicate as much as possible all across the world. And that is to, again, to everyone's benefit because we will theoretically and hopefully be preventing uh, evolution as well. Yeah, because it, it's it, in my thinking, um, yeah, I, I guess what we should be doing is just is trying to tackle all of these different things like the the monkeypox and stuff right from the get-go because we want to stop it from because we really don't know like there's there's no solid answer there's just kind of the behaviors of viruses and we the best we can do is track them and see what they do and then learn from that that's right that's exactly right and you know it's it's both it's both selfish and the moral and ethical right thing to do is to provide the best biomedical care for every human on this planet. And it's obviously the ethical thing to do because every life is, is worth protecting, uh, whether it be in Kinshasa uh, or Lagos, Nigeria, 
or in Washington, D.C. But it is also, you know, if you want to take a step back, our national security has been compromised by our refusal to care for and and prevent this virus uh, halfway around the world. Mm. Well, there's a few in Washington that <laughs> I, have, I am not wishing a pox on it in no. Washington, but I part of me trying to walk through. <laughs> well, do, do you think it's just incompetence that they let this um, uh, the, the 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 vaccine to expire, or is it just not caring and not understanding, or is it just cheaper? Was it just cheaper to let it expire? Is that why that happened? I mean, it definitely is funding is an issue for these things, right? And and yeah. this vaccine was developed and stockpiled, not for monkeypox, but actually out of fear of a smallpox bout terrorism attack. So a part of the struggle to, to respond to this outbreak is that the federal government should have had this on the radar, certainly, but this was not the front of their mind. The front of their mind was how to use this to stop um, a smallpox attack. And so that led them to make a whole bunch of decisions about what the stockpile looked like how things would be stored, when they would be made, and when they would go actually out. You know, how much of the stockpile can you activate at a sort of uh, finger's touch, at a, at a snap of the fingers? Um, these are difficult strategic questions. No one is saying that, you know, uh, this is this is like easy theoretical stuff, because if you move the vaccine out of its storage place, you sort of that, that vaccine has shot its load, as it were, right? It, you yeah. kind of can't put it back in storage. And so if you move hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccine and you end up only having 2000 cases or using 2000 doses, you know, that's an, an investment that has has been lost. The frustrating thing is, you know, it was it's we have people in our federal government whose one job is this. It is their one job, you know, <laughs> to, to respond to these types of situations. And yet. Um, you know, the queer community was on the front lines. We saw that cases were not getting detected because there wasn't enough testing. And we were begging for these people whose one job it is to get ahead of these things, for them to do the right thing. And not only did they, you know, sort of ignore us and then, and then completely not move enough vaccine to respond and not scale up testing. Uh, and, and so it's like, what, what, what do you do here? Like, what, what is your, you know, what would you say you do here? This was your one freaking job, you know, um, to respond with urgency to an emergency. It's like literally called emergency pandemic preparedness. Um, and and you know, so it's 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 been a bit perplexing to those of us in the community who have borne um, the biggest burden of of disease. That you know, my friend who just got out of isolation, I got to hug him for the first time this weekend tried very hard to get vaccine in June and was unable to do so. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's strange, you know, that, you know, uh, it, so now um, how do people get vaccinated now or can they? It is, it is tough still. Um, cities are getting allocations. Um, it depends heavily on what city and state you're in, you know, some places like, Ohio and Arizona have been really, really underserved in terms of the vaccine doses that they've gotten, because until now, vaccine doses have been doled out by where known cases are. And so if there's not a lot of testing in your area, you haven't been getting a lot of vaccine. The federal government is trying to work on that. Then again, that takes vaccine out of the arms of New Yorkers who have the most demonstrated need because we have the highest number of cases. We are still in a vaccine scarce situation. 
and we think we will be probably until next year. So, you know, folks have got to pay attention to the cities and states they live in, uh, to what's happening there, your local departments of health, um, call up your local city government or your state government and, and, and see what's going on. Um, most places have both an online portal uh, for vaccination and a phone number you can call in. Uh, you can ask your primary care physician about it. You can go and talk to your, um, your sexual health clinics in your city or state. Uh, but it is still, I will acknowledge, it's just too difficult still. Wow. Um, how long does it take them to, to create a vaccine? Like, I mean, not create, that's the wrong word, because they've already got this vaccine. Yep. But how long does it take them to, to make it? So that uh, they can, yeah. you know, you know we're, we actually have 15 million doses sitting in bags that have to be what's called filled and finished, which just means put from a bag into a vial and labels and quality tested. And that process, you know, we have been trying to say this needs to get done in the next month to two months. And the federal government's timeline right now for that fill and finish is not until January. So that is a bummer. Um, I think it's obviously the case that this there's going to be a continued global need for um, vaccine substance from this small company, Bavarian Nordic in Denmark. Uh, manufacturing vaccine uh, takes time and expertise. It is not the easiest thing in the world. It's not like making a drug where you can make a gajillion pills uh, for relatively cheap, relatively quickly. Um, but this is why we need to keep pressure on our government to continue invest. And, you know, the federal government will make a lot of excuses, but they can move money places it needs to go quickly. And the COVID vaccine drive taught us that, right? That vaccine went from no mRNA vaccine ever being put into patients outside of a clinical trial to shots going into arms with uh, the research and development and scale up of production in just months. So where there is a political will, there is a practical way. And that is what we are insisting on here. Yeah, well, Bill Gates had to get his computer chip in everyone. <laughs> there, this, is a, this, this and every other vaccine is computer chip free. Oh, <laughs> I want to get a chip from Bill. <laughs> That's no fun. Well, I just I just take a million. I'll take one of Bill. He has too many millions of dollars. I will yeah. take just ones of his millions. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, okay, let's talk about where if people can get your book. So let, let's yeah. talk. Do you have a website? And do you have a, and you do I a do. podcast or something too? So let's let's give all that out. Yeah. So the the website is josephosmondson dot com. Uh, if you just Google Joseph Osmondson, it comes right up. The book is called Virology. And, uh, you know, the virology is, is a type of a, it's a field of study. It's a title, it's a title of, uh, textbooks. And so the book, it does this thing where it both contains science in it, but it also contains stories from my life and, um, some talking about other books and some queer theory. And it kind of has a mishmash of different things, which by the way, uh, there's a lot of one-star reviews on Amazon being like, I thought I was buying a textbook and then page two has a blow job on it. Um, <laughs> which is like, I want to get that like tattooed on my forehead. That's like exactly the point of the book. Um, so you can find that wherever books are sold. Uh, the podcast is Food for Thought, the number four and thought spelled T-H-O-T. It's with my lovely friends, Tommy Pico, Den Michelle Norris, and Fran Torado. And yeah, you know, I'm being annoying on Twitter at Reluctantly Joe pretty much all the time. 
Oh, great. Now, we'll have all that up on our site, too, so people can find you with one click, easy. And and, and remember, people, if you type in um, Joseph's name on Google, he'll come. Right I, will, every, I will. <laughs> I can feel it happening even now. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, you know, I have to say, you know, the thing that um, first thing I noticed when I went to your site and it said like uh, it says your name and then it's got. Uh, oh, what is it? It's like scientist, um, author and then fag. I thought, geez, that's something <laughs> <Yeah>. I would say. <laughs> that's, and, you know, I just just to bring it back to this moment, you know, the gays have this incredible ability to be both deeply serious and deeply frivolous in the same conversation. Um, and we, you know, talk about sex, frankly, with our girlfriends. Um, and because these infectious diseases from HIV to monkeypox spread through sex. You know, that's how they travel from one person to another. We really need people with our voices, with our full, you know, from community for community to get information out there, both about how to prevent this virus with vaccines and also how to use risk management to try to not get it while we wait for vaccines to come online. Yeah, I think it's important. So that's actually, you know, um, why I asked you to be on, because I, I truly think it's important. And and just for everybody to, to get on board, I, there's a lot of people uncomfortable talking yeah. about sex. And, and when it comes up, they, they don't want to listen. But there, there's there's reasons we talk and we need to talk about yeah. it. So, you know, it's important. Um, so. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you talking about all this and, and also everything you do. I mean, you're, you, you don't have to do all this and you don't have to get out there and, and try to make things work. Cause I know what it's like dealing with media and public and, and trying to get people on board. It's not always easy. So, uh, I really appreciate all your work as well. So, thank you so thank much, you. Alan. And, and, and Dave too. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.